I want to introduce our, our fabulous panelists that have given of their time to be with us this morning. Abby Guillet has been teaching French levels 3, 4, and 5 AP um, at C.W. Baker High School for the past 24 years. Uh, she's traveled to France and Quebec with over 325 of her students on trips. Abby received an undergraduate and graduate ed education in French literature from the Shade College House in Maryland and Columbia University, uh, New York, and studied at the Université de Provence, Université de Provence, and at the Université Antioch and Dakar, Senegal. Before coming to Syracuse, Abby taught English at the Institut Rennes in Versailles and the Lycée Français de New York, has been a member of and presenter at Nice et Spectacle at Lechmann for 24 years, also presented an excellent article. Abby's represented Central New York on the Nicefelt Board of Directors for two terms as the chairman of the France Travel Award Committee. She's currently representing the states of New York and New Jersey on the National Board of AATF. Abby received the Palme Académique from the French government, but is most proud of receiving the Nicefelt Ruthie Wadley Distinguished Teacher Award in 2003. So Abby's with us today. This morning we are here to discuss, to discuss performance-based assessment, articulation, and the alignment of Common Core standards with our own New York State standards. As a high school French teacher, facing the challenges that every high school language teacher faces each day, as well as enjoying the satisfactions of a life in this field, I am honored to present the high school perspective. In preparation for this morning, I watched Nancy Kess's wonderful webinar on aligning a load to the Common Core Standards. I, I memorized it, Nancy. <laughs> Several times, spoke to everyone and anyone who would help me, including John Carlino, Roseanne Lorifis, my district superintendent, Jean Dangle, the president of the school board, Burl Wells, my own daughter, Stephanie, who is also a French teacher, all of whom I thank for their time and their great patience. So I read, and I read, and I reread all about the Common Core, the six strands of speaking and listening, the six strands for language, the 10 standards for reading, as well as the six shifts and close reading skills, and the 10 standards for writing. Is that night read, Nancy? One thing I can tell you for sure, les grandes personnes aiment les chiffres. <laughs> for all of you non-French people, these words are spoken by the little prince in the novel by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. In his story, Les Grandes Personnes, the adults, whom the author indulgently forgives, are those misguided people who allow themselves to be fooled by appearances and to forget that what is truly essential, what is real, is invisible and that cannot really be counted. It awkwardly translates big people like numbers. Actually, I must confess that so do I. I remember liking my SAT scores, my GPA, and my class rank. I was motivated by these numbers to work hard and to achieve more. In very some very strange way that I can only equate to that of a long distance runner, I find satisfaction in saying that I teach six classes a day, four different courses, I have served as voluntary advisor to French Club and French Honor Society for 12 years. 
and I have spent 112 unpaid days of my vacation over half a school year traveling with my wonderful students. Although I tout that I will not spend an entire year preparing my students for an AP exam that lasts exactly one half a day, I make quite sure that, that when that day comes, my students are prepared what they're going to be asked to do on that day. And every June for the past 24 years, I woke up really excited to give that New York State Regents exam and to see how my students compared with students across the entire state of New York. My first year, my principal told me that she wanted everyone to pass that exam. I never forgot those words, and every year I strive for mastery. These numbers motivated me to work hard, to have my students work efficiently, and to set specific benchmarks that I wanted my students to be able to do, which quite honestly always surpassed what the Board of Regents and the College Board wanted. I take great pride in the achievement of my students, those who will be continuing on in college, and those for whom my course is an exit course. How do I feel that the Board of Elim Regents eliminated our examination? Disappointed and worried. In 1997 and then again in 1999, I studied the literature of West Africa in Senegal on an NEH institute with 20 other French teachers from across the United States. In between our lectures and our papers, I was so proud to be from a state which held language in such priority. While I certainly do understand the economic problems we are facing, I find it really difficult to understand how the state of New York can look at the national standards that they wish to implement, see world languages listed as number two among the core subjects, global awareness as number one on the 21st century themes, and then to remove our assessment. Losing a state assessment at a time where other assessments are being implemented makes me worry that someday soon we will lose the language requirement. It is imperative for NYSEFELT and for all of us to remain vocal advocates that we are indeed a core subject as listed on the Common Core Standards. Am I worried that given the lack of accountability that the comprehensive examination and vote ensured, some teachers will abandon the communicative techniques which brought foreign language instruction into the 21st century? Yes and no. As I read over those standards on the webinar and listened to Nancy give examples, I was reassured to see that what she said was true, that the New York State syllabus written so many years ago remains our guide that this innovative document still is a valid checkpoint of the skills that our students need to reach. And in several cases, the specificity of the Common Core document makes it easier for us to create lessons designed for those skills. For veteran teachers, this means that we will need to reflect, always a good thing, to make sure that our units of studies are indeed aligned and to make the necessary adjustments. Last summer, I did this in preparation for the new AP French exam, integrating reading and listening, speaking and writing into si single topics. It has no way diminished my program or the enjoyment that my students are having this year. To those just entering the field, the Common Core Standards make it clear that the communicative approach, the use of the target language, and the need to create outcome-based lessons are not an option. 
There is no going back to the old methods, which simply did not work. When I spoke to my district superintendent, she advised me on several occasions that I needed to remove myself and not focus on how I personally planned on implementing the standards into my own curriculum. This has proven more difficult than I can do, especially since I kept on hearing Nancy's voice from the webinar in my head. She repeatedly kept saying we were the experts and that we should view the standards keeping in mind the notions of best practices. So I had to reflect on what experiences made me the expert in my classroom and what were those best practices. I would like to share with you three sources. The first came from my subject supervisor, a position in Baldwinsville that was sadly eliminated one day many years ago, replaced by one of the overworked vice principals. Porter Schirmerhorn guided me through proficiency-oriented instruction and imposed upon us certain practices in our classrooms. He told me that I had to teach in the target language, that grammar had to be taught in context, and that the only useful evaluations were those that were done in class. He said that culture with a lowercase c and an uppercase c had to be integrated into every lesson. He allowed me to see that having objectives is not teaching to the test when the test is a, value, a valid evaluation of what we are doing. Without his advice and instructions, I would be a quite different teacher today. And I truly feel for every new teacher entering this field who doesn't have this type of guidance, it is needed now more than ever with the shadow of Commons Core and APPR over us. Most of the other best practices were simply ideas that I stole from others. And although I think it's really silly to be saying it in front of this particular group today, I will confess that most of my ideas I stole from nicer folk members. <laughs> the need for language teachers to support their local and their state organizations is even more imperative now. While I am not an expert in state education regulations, I turn to NYSAFELT, for it is their purpose to be one. They are the voice of the foreign language educator in the state. I will forever be grateful to the countless teachers, many here today, who have inspired me. So I was trained in technique, and I was given great ideas, but my authority in my classroom came from my own authorship of blending the two. This came from a place deep inside me and did not come without hours and hours of reflection upon my students, revisions, revisions, corrections, and revisions. I am a teacher because I simply cannot imagine doing anything else. I drive to school each day to sh excited to share my lessons. And although my students may not share my excitement for relative pronouns or le cowboy le renard, my own excitement convinces them that they are indeed important things to know and that they fit into the vision that I have of what I want my students to be able to do when they leave my classroom for the last time. So what exactly do I want my students to be able to do when that time comes? Well, of course, there is the level of proficiency in writing and reading and in speaking that I want them to attain in preparation for their college courses, even if they are not planning on majoring in French. As for listening, I want their level of anxiety to be reduced so that they can understand a variety of native speakers without that old voice in their head reminding them just how fast native speakers speak, using words here and there that they may not understand. 
I want them to function in a manner that is culturally correct so as not to be the slightest bit offensive or inappropriate. But most importantly, I want them, whether they continue or never study French again, I want them all to carry with them for the rest of their life an interest in cultures and languages that are not their own and to appreciate that different is not strange. I want them to leave understanding how much they know and how much they still have to learn, appreciating the time and effort it requires to master a second language and wishing to travel and see the world, not just la francophonie. I want nothing short of helping them to become finer human beings. Terry Sullivan Cacavelli said in her Nice FL 2009 key keynote speech, I don't teach French. I teach life in French. I have students who leave my <coughs> class at a variety of levels of proficiency. How is this possible? They did the same homework. They had the same teacher. Ha after all, they followed the same program. Perhaps it was due to their level of ability or their level and interest and motivation for learning French. The truth is there is a timing and readiness factor in learning a second language that must be considered. I have students who are not my strongest students go on to college and minor and even major in French because it became a part of who they were. Now, years later, they are more proficient than the students who received a five on that AP exam and who went on to major into another subject. Time and perseverance were all they needed. As we work toward these standards, let us make sure that we do not remove what our students love about our class and what makes them want to continue to learn after they leave it. What scares me the most about APPR and even the specificity of the standards of Common Core is that perhaps our college language students and potentially most gifted teachers will not even enter this field or who without guidance and support will leave it. I am convinced that teaching is a form of art and like all forms of art, it requires passion and personal creativity. How do we measure this? My favorite film is called The Red Violin. It is a story of a very talented violin maker in Italy. All of his violins are outstanding, but one is extraordinary, and it is red because of the contents of the varnish. Hundreds year of years later, at an auction house in Montreal where it is being repaired, one of the technicians hooks it up to some measuring instruments and comments, this is the most single, most perfect acoustic machine I have ever seen. Amazing the ultimate violin, the perfect marriage of science and beauty. I would love to have this for myself. I would take it apart to find out how it works. Taking it apart piece by piece would indeed reveal the measurements, the vibration numbers, and the other calculations that make it perfect. It would also destroy it. Without revealing the end to this film, I will only say that it was the love and the passion of the violin maker that made this red violin so special. As we move forward through the evaluations of Common Core and APPR, let us make sure that while we do create lessons around those 32 standards and six shifts, while we worry about our score on APPR evaluation, we do not forget that it is our love for this profession, for our students and for our subject that is the one reality, essential, invisible, and certainly uncountable.
teaching that she's done, bringing to us regarding focusing language, learning the lens through the lens of assessment. And we're going to turn it over now to Paul. Paul's coming with his national perspective as the actual director, associate director of professional development there. And um, we'll have him give, give us his take from particularly the national level. Thanks, Deb. Thank you, Abby. That was inspiring. <laughs> um, I'm going to pick up one theme from what you said, which was teaching to the test. And it's something that we've been talking about now for three days. Uh, starting in Ithaca on Thursday, high school teachers, college and university faculty came together to have a conversation. And we started out with that very question. Do you think that's a good idea, a bad idea, or hmm, maybe it just depends on the test? I think you'd say it depends on the test. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're trying to do is, is create the assessments that give us the evidence that we want. Create the assessments that empower our students to say, oh, that's what I signed up for this class. This, this, is, this matches my motivation, rather than the kind of assessment that says, that's not what I had in mind. I think I'm not, not going to be here next year, because they're not getting the feedback that says, we are matching your motivation, we're matching your goals, which usually dwell in the area of performance, rather than just all of the little details that lead up to it. And it's not, I don't want to suggest that we have this either or, and separate those two. There are means to the ends. You can't get to the ends without some means to get there. And those would be the things such as you do need vocabulary, you do need some grammatical structures, you do need to practice a lot of language functions. But if students think that it's just for the drill and it's just for that quiz and it doesn't lead anywhere because in your class they don't get to that performance, they're not going to believe that. Just trust me, someday you're going to be dropped off in Costa Rica or Senegal or Moscow and you're going to be just fine and you're going to thank your teacher. It's like. I'm not going to wait that long. <laughs> i got to walk out the door today saying I can do something with what I learned. We were talking uh, last night at, at, at a table about, um, again, trying to bring the idea of performance objectives and my daily objective together. And I, I'm seeing more and more teachers that the idea of teaching to the test, of teaching to my performance goals, becomes very, very public in the classroom. Um, where the standards are presented, um, the image that I shared with, with that Wisconsin teachers have, have put together of blending those, those standards together. I've seen it in classrooms. And here's a real, real story where the teacher's daily lesson was on something grammatical. Um, let's say it was object pronouns, one of my favorite ones. Um, and there was a student who raised his hand, like all students would, and say, you know, teacher, why are we doing this? The teacher didn't have to respond. A student jumped up, walked over, and said, see right here, that interpersonal? You know, like in, in three weeks, by the end of this unit, we're going to have to have a conversation about, that's why we're doing this right now today. I went, wow. If students are in on that, that they realize, I can put up with some of these. I have to learn some vocabulary. I have to learn some grammar. I have to learn some language functions. Because I know it's going to help me get where I want to some performance, they blended it. And the students are now seeing that the means are leading to some important ends because it's in the assessment. Instead of saying, am I ever going to perform it? Yes, you are. And that's what we're working towards, always to be visible. So um, I think uh, that whole idea of evidence is really, really critical. I'm going to share one more story, and then I'll do what Deb asked, get it to a little more national perspective. Um, this came from my local district um, experience. As a middle school teacher, um, we decided that we were going to put together the test 
that would show those high school teachers how hard we were working, what our students really could do, because we kept getting being, you know, we're, we're, the fingers are being pointed at us like, what are you doing down there at middle school? You know, just eating and dancing and having a lot of fun? They're not learning anything. We said, we're trying so hard, you know? Again, object pronouns, that was like half of eighth grade. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we said, okay, we're gonna put together this, just, we're gonna put it all in this, this test and uh, evaluate our eighth graders. So at the end of three years in our program, what can they do? So you know it had all the grammatical things, it had a lot of vocabulary, a lot of fill in the blanks so we could do it really fast. We gave it to our students, all excited, because we were gonna show these, this to the high school teachers, right? How well do you think they did? I'm seeing a lot of heads shaking. <laughs> That's exactly what we did. We went, oh my, what happened? What we were using was assessment of those means to try to de deliver something that proved the ends. And that wasn't the end at all. And it also, we didn't understand the whole idea of language acquisition. We were using little learning checks, little quizzes, the little worksheet kind of mentality to say, and after three years, this is what you can do with it, right? No, we never got to that point. We were leaving it back at what may, might have happened on a daily level for the kind of assessment evidence. So we had to change and shift. I started it and my, my successor in the department chair position continued on. Eventually it got to the point, of, we, we started slowly by just saying, so what would that look like? We oh, of course, we never showed that test to the high school teachers. It <laughs> so. We regrouped and said, so what is it the evidence that we would be proud of? And we started having conversations about the performance itself and started to design assessments so that we could, we could show now a video clip of students having conversations, the presentations they were doing in class, the kinds of readings that we asked them to understand and what we asked them to do. Not just, oh, everyone got these answers right because, no, it's this, look at what, analyze what we're having them do. We started to have those conversations as middle school teachers, showing that to the high school teachers. They were saying, wow, we're kind of impressed. We'd never heard that before. <laughs> So it just changed our whole thinking and our whole attitude. Um, and eventually moved to having at the end of each semester, there were common assessments in all languages that had a performance basis. So they had to do something presentational. They had to do, it was an on-demand writing. They had to do something interpersonal where we videotaped at the time, um, conversations that were spontaneous. And they had to do an interpretive um, reading or listening activity. When we showed those then to the high school teachers, Again, it really changed the conversation and the whole idea of connecting and placement was much, much stronger. So, lesson learned, lesson learned. And it reminded us, what is the evidence that our students take home? And if all they ever take home is that, that low level kind of assessment about the means, the language elements, the vocabulary, the grammar, and the functions, and never to the performance. You know, it's like, what do you want posted on the refrigerators across this country, right? Do you want your worksheets? Or do you want a little video playing with, with, of your students performing? That's what I want, right? Holograms just happening right there. <laughs> um, so again, th this is, this is uh, I think what, what's really important is to keep in mind the idea of that performance assessment and what happens when we move to that performance kind of assessment is we as teachers give up our control. When it's a, when it's a, 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 a grammatical or a vocabulary kind of um, assessment, I'm fully in control, I'm saying, know these words, either you know them or you don't. Uh, fill in the blank, it's either right or it's wrong. Whereas if I say, here's the task, how are you going to do? The student has to have all the strategies and they just pull it all together and they make the most of it and then I can evaluate and say, you know, 
you're here, or you're here, or you're here. But they're the ones in charge. So it isn't necessarily like, but you didn't use my five favorite vocabulary words. No, but you accomplished the task. It's okay. It's okay. And you're really good for a novice, rather than you're not as, you're not as good because you don't know all these words. Um, one more story, if I may. <laughs> um, this, this happened, again, because um, we've been talking a lot about articulation, uh, thanks to, to Dick Feldman bringing the conversation at Cornell and Ithaca College and Ithaca High School. Uh, this was a real student, um, in, um, not one of mine because it was Japanese and I taught Spanish, but um, I, I, I talked to the student, a high school student who was going on college visits, and she'd had uh, four years of Japanese and was going around to several different colleges, some in the east, some in the midwest, some in the west, really prestigious, and she said I was shopping for a college that would recognize what I could do in Japanese. So she met with a department in, in one very well-known school, and um, the conversation uh, was going really well. She was all excited. She said, I did, you know, I did great in my Japanese. And then they had me do um, uh, a writing thing, and they were telling me what to write, you know, like basically translate some sentences. And she said, I just didn't know some of the words exactly that they wanted. I was trying to work around it, and they wouldn't let me. They said, no, 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 what's, what's that word? What's that word? What's that word? And they said, you know, you don't know our our basic 100 kanji, so you would be starting in level one. You'd be starting in first semester. She said, are you kidding me? You know, haven't we had a good conversation? Yes, but you don't know those particular characters, so you're not good enough to move beyond level one. She said, that college went right off my list. Mm -hmm. Done. If you don't recognize what I can do, and you're going back to only your controlled piece of what you expect, and that was a student. So that gave me another aha moment to think about how do we move forward the whole conversation around assessment. So I think one of the things that, that I've been, been learning more and more is that we need some kind of outside validation because we have to start to trust this, this world of performance assessment. And fortunately what's happening is that um, there, there is a lot of movement in the same direction. So it isn't like just as I was sharing, we middle school teachers trying to do it or, or university faculty trying to change the world. It's like everyone's having a very similar conversation. So last night I was talking about the advanced placement and moving towards the, the, the idea that we need to assess interpretive, presentational, and interpersonal communication versus just can you fill in the blanks, that's a huge step forward. And the way that the performance is described is a pretty high level. And it just reinforces that then I need to work towards that in my particular class. Um, other outside validations, you know, we, we don't have a lot, really a national curriculum um, across this country in, in languages. You know, we can point to any school and say, uh, we, we cannot point to any school and say, second year, it's all the same wherever you go. There is nothing that is second yearness or first yearness or third yearness. It's simply what you decide it's going to be in your particular um, uh, school or district. Um, some states try to control a little bit more, but even there, you know that students are flowing through a program as they are going to be determined in that school. So you look for some outside validation of, well, how do I know that I'm, I'm on the right track, I'm getting somewhere? So advanced placement is certainly one option. Um, the International Baccalaureate, also very performance-based assessment. So if we look for some good models, there are two that I would hold up. And then we look for other examples where I can get a sense of, and are my students on track? So the stamp assessment is an online assessment, as you know, um, and you get some good um, uh, ratings. Um, it was developed out of the University of Oregon. And um, it, 
um, has uh, uh, the reading, listening, and writing elements um, that are you know really well done to uh, generate uh, a score and a, and a rating, I should say. Um, that has has um, inspired Actful to move along the same lines, and uh, we're actually doing the final um, testing right now, some validation study, um, and we've had hundreds of students from grade, I think grade three has been the lowest up through grade 12, and it is an assessment again of the three modes. So it helps us give some outside validation of what we're trying to do to say, well, what would presentational writing look like? What would interpretive reading, interpretive listening, interpersonal listening and speaking look like? And it, it again, gives um, us and our public an idea of what could that assessment be? <coughs> it's, it's nationally recognized, but it's supporting what I would want to do in the classroom. It would be supporting what I would want to be doing at a district level to really chart the progress of my students and move it along. So I think I should stop there and uh, just uh, we'll respond to other questions if people want to go into certain areas in a little more detail. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And let me just remind you um, to jot down questions. You have those little white cards. So if anything comes up, um, please feel free to jot that down. And then I can certainly put them into the microphone here and have our panelists respond. Um, Al Martino is next up. And I pass. <laughs> pass. I've been trying to do this all morning, but it's not going to fly. Um, so I said, could you please submit a bio? For me, I asked all of our panelists, and so Al's was one line. <laughs> so I'm going to say a little bit more about Al. I think many of you know Al, and um, that could be a good thing. And um, so <laughs> we'll, we'll could be. Tell, tell a little bit about who Al is up here. Al is past president, a past president of Knights of Felt. Al was a leader in the field at State Ed, instrumental in getting votes the true credit that it deserves in getting votes to where it is in New York State at this point in time. <laughs> Along with others, we, he was uh, uh, a presenter to many of us, I think, across the state when Lote was really launching in the, as, as, this, as the century turned, right, as we went into the year 2000. Um, he's a world-class presenter of workshops at the state, national, level on the speaker circuit, and he re really is a true Knights of Friends. Um, Al's now a retired instructional administrator with 36 years in the field of foreign language, although last night he did tell me he is working one and a half jobs at present, so where the retired is, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> He's presently working for SUNY Albany at the College of St. Rose, teaching classes in the Department of Spanish and Education as well as serving as a clinical supervisor. So. He's going to bring his unique perspective to the table now in speaking uh, about looking at language through the lens of assessment. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to do that. Um, no one in this room um, was more mortally wounded than I was when it came to the removal of the exams. As you know, um, I had my life and those of us that worked at State Ed with me that lent me support um, to the creation of those exams and in really moving forward with a performance assessment. And it uh, was a, a tremendous hurt and blow that I unfortunately took too personally when the, the exams were removed. Sadly, just prior to the removal of those exams, conversations were being held at the State Education Department with regard in the testing area about how to make foreign language exams performance-based. 
And I was just surprised. I thought, well, that's a good question. How might we do that? Um, heaven forbid they walk down a flight of stairs and look for someone who might know the answers to that. So when we talk about the status of performance-based assessments in New York State, you have to understand that I come at it from a, looking at it from a state lens. That's the big lens and that we're talking about today. And I worry tremendously because it was that those exams at those two levels that really maintained the integrity of what we do in New York State. When I sat at, on NACISIFL, the National Council for State Supervisors of Foreign Languages, I mean, it was very clear to me that very few states were near where we were. They weren't as organized. They didn't have the kind of strength of the organizations that we have in felt to move forward. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when I look at what's happened, I, I, I worry because those exams were not easy to put together. I look at them from a very technical perspective. I know that I learned so much about assessment working there, what's a good assessment, what's a good test item, all this kind of stuff. And what I see that has happened is by the removal of these exams, I get nervous because I can't help but to wonder what is going on in all the schools in New York State. One of the pieces that became very clear to me when I worked at the State Education Department, which I didn't have when I was working in rural mid-state New York was the vast diversity of school districts and permutations of LOAT programs. Most teachers had no clue. They know, and it's not a fault, it's just that you know where you live, your district, you know what you're doing. But to talk about what's going on or how it might look in Messina, New York, which is someplace up where they speak French in New York State, as far as I think, or where you go down to Long Island, very different places, or in, New in mid New York State where I taught, where cow tipping was the weekend activity of my students. Um, no, it's true, and I learned all about that, and I could probably talk to you about it in Spanish or French because that's what I was teaching. So I realized that once they've broken from state ed, I, I've become nervous because I immediately heard in my own immediate area of the capital district about people now saying, oh, now I can add just a little bit of grammar to this test. <laughs> or, you know, those speaking tests for the proficiency were just too much. Let's cut them back. Now, mind you, you, what you probably don't know is that I convened a panel when I was at State Ed to look at those proficiency tasks because that's a lot. If you teach middle school and you give the exam, you know more than anyone here how hard that is. It's tough. It's a tough job. And let me tell you what the teachers on my committee, because Al didn't make the decision. I, had my, I was ready to cut them at State Ed. I was ready because I understood having given them. Not one teacher on my committee, and these are people from all over New York State. I mean, you know, I could give you the names. They're in the documents. But they said N-O. In other words, they wanted to keep what we had. So I'm now worrying that we are now learning more about performance assessments. We are hearing about core curriculum, and people are talking about literacy for the first time. It's coming out of the mouths of foreign language teachers, and I've been wondering for years why they haven't been saying literacy. I mean, we've all of a sudden, it's something new for us, literacy. I worry that with all of these changes, I, I worry that it weakens the system. It's just Al's worrying. Now, I know that we have consortia growing around the state, 
people working together, putting their heads together to try to make it work right for all of us. But you know, it's not that easy because you have to understand what's the history behind all this. What's the New York State syllabus like? The, we used to call it the Purple Bible, remember? What are the standards like? Why are our standards not the same as ACTFL? People, teachers in the field have no clue why they're different. Why do we have different assessment with different exam, um, standards? Because you can't assess half the standards in ACTFL. You can't assess those the way we assess in New York State on-demand testing. You know, in, in mid-New York State, there are no native speakers of Spanish. I was the only one. <laughs> I mean, so you can't go out into communities and use language that way. But, you know, do they know? Do we have, um, we've had a morphing of methods courses around the state. Thank God for you, Joanne, because, you know, and, and, and people like Sue, people who are, and Nancy Wallace is out there, people that are still doing it the way it's supposed to be done. But what you may not know is that the methods courses are being morphed into ELL programs, ELL methods courses. And ICAT and my methods course the other day, my students showed me the, the documents that they were given about standards. And, and the best of intentions, the instructor downloaded ACTFL, downloaded State Ed, threw it all in together and handed it to the students. And they're looking at this like, what does this mean? And I, I wonder the same thing. We worry, we're, we're learning about, you know, IPA, you know, integrated performance assessments. Is it time for us to think about that in New York State as a real mode of assessment? Boy, I wish someone from State Ed were sitting here. Um, because it's time to do some of these things. I'm worried about where we are in the state. I, I really felt that if nothing else, those exams gave a backward design to our curriculum, our curricula. They move teachers together in unison. We are a large group in New York State. We used to have something like, if I remember from back in the day, six to 7,000 foreign language teachers in New York State. It's because of our mandates. Very few states can say that. That's a big number. Well, these state assessments are moving people forward, keeping them somewhat together. I mean, we're all unique. We all say things differently in the classroom, and we respected that. So when I was asked to do this, I just thought, well, I could talk about this for four hours because of my experience at State Ed as an administrator, and that's another part that has worried me. Many schools don't, are losing right now in the school budgets their school district administrators or supervisors or whatever that role was called, and that was sometimes that guiding light that helped the teachers stay on track. And I don't mean that in a negative way. You have so many things at you all day long. I mean, oh my God, the IEPs, and just trying to get teachers to understand how to teach and not worry about spelling with the special ed kids. It's, your supervisor helped you. And those are positions are disappearing and or morphing into, as in, in Albany, I just heard of a position that's now morphing into a K-12 literacy, and it's the foreign language person that's gonna be doing it. Hello, I mean, so I worry about our performance assessments in New York State. I worry about where we're going. I'm thankful that we have NYSEFELT to kind of help us, but you know something, folks. Look around you right now. We are a minute group. You know, NYSEFELT has 2,100 members maybe on a good year. Am I right? On a good year. Well, when I was president, we had something like that. We'll say 1,500 members. There are many more non-members, folks, in the field. So as I 
kind of stop here because I could go on forever. Is I'd like to leave something with you that you can do to make things better. And what I'd like to tell you to do is you need to go back to your schools and force, literally, your colleagues who are low teachers to become members of NYSEFELT. That is the I see NYSEFELT as the only way to save what we have in the state, that the integrity of what we do. This is where it's going to come from, because it's not going to come from the state unless they have some revelation at the state. Um, you know, and I may go knock on his door when I get home tonight because it's right across the street. Um, <laughs> you probably didn't know that. I live right across the street from the gentleman. And, you know, and uh, right down the street from the uh, other, from uh, Gladys, anyways, who has some power there. So, um, and we do converse when I'm out in my walk. But get your colleagues to join, please. I think there's some, we, we, we are the people that are hearing this stuff. You are the people, during all of this, your heads are going like this. You people understand why you're here, and you understand the value of it. Sadly, your colleagues do not. And I wish we, it's easier said than done, folks, and I know that, but please go back to your schools and help people to join NYSEFELT. Help them to see the value and help them to recognize their jobs may be, if they really are in it for teaching because they love children and they love language, they need to watch their jobs and watch their backs, and NYSEFELT is the one place that will help them. So thank you. Thanks so much. Um, and before I introduce Jennifer, a reminder for the cards, uh, write the name of the person you'd like the question addressed to as well. And I'll collect them as soon as Jennifer, Jennifer speaks. Um, Jennifer Eddy, we're delighted to have you on our panel as well this morning. Jennifer brings her perspective as Assistant Professor of World Language Education at Queens College of the City University of New York. Um, Queen City College adopted her protocol aligning backward design, UBD with the national standards, five C's in 2003. Dr. Eddy is consultant to school districts, uh, states, and independent schools on performance-based curriculum and assessment design. In addition to working with Ramapo Greece, um, Hophog, how do you pronounce that? Hophog. <laughs> in Irvington, New York District, she developed five television broadcasts on performance assessment for the Department of Ed South Carolina Educational Television Network for their World Language Curriculum Reform Initiative and worked with the Delaware Department of Education on their 502 alignment, reviewing thematic units and performance assessment models for all districts. Jennifer developed the online curriculum guide as well as the multimedia workshop planning for performance with backward design for StarTalk, an NSLI-funded project providing student and teacher programs across the country in critical languages. Dr. Eddy is author of books um, Sonidos, Sabores y Palabras, co-author of Starting with the End in Mind, and writes articles on thematic curricula and performance assessment. She presents at education conferences, is on the task force of StarTalk at the National Foreign Language Center, and on the Board of Directors of Northeast, Northeast Conference on the Teaching of Foreign language, Languages, NFL. So we are delighted to have you with us this morning, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's, it's really an honor to uh, have been asked to uh, present here for you and uh, on such an important topic. And um, I come at it, uh, yes, through the lens of assessment, I, I come at it looking at uh, teacher training from the perspective of pre-service 
and then also in service through professional development. Uh, when I arrived at Queens, I, uh, I said, you know, this is, it's high time because we also had the, uh, we had the certification, we had the accreditation issue. So it became very natural to, uh, to make a marriage to align the national standards and the five C's and align it with backward design. And in doing so, looking at performance assessment uh, in order so that our, our, our teachers could have that training. Uh, so uh, I did that and when working with the performance assessments, uh, did it with the New York State syllabus. So they know it with the topics and the themes and then subsequently you going to other districts and, uh, and showing them our syllabus and saying what great topics and themes they are so they could then develop performance assessments. Uh, so, uh, so thank you uh, again so much and, and uh, I come at it with that perspective of teacher training. Um, when uh, sometimes when people come to the the classes, they come to the workshops. I present them with a with a quote, with an idea. So uh, I like being a little more interactive. So I'll I'll throw this out to you so, to think about it. Um, using a language appropriately in a given culture requires high adaptability, tolerance of ambiguity, new situations, dealing with incomplete information, and problem solving without cues or supports. And, uh, and, and consider that, and when I think about that, uh, students need to be able to use the language flexibly and securely. And a thematic curriculum designed backward from performance assessment and from performance assessment goals, I think closely meet that criteria. They meet that criteria the best, and they'll provide really the best evidence of understanding when you consider the 21st century skills and the common core standards. That's, uh, that, that, that's what does it. Um, consider what happens any time that we communicate and we talk with anybody. Uh, interactions are not scripted. Right? We don't have a script. Life has no script. Uh, information has gaps. We don't know what the other person is going to say. And uh, really when we talk to anyone, we're, we're trying to get information from them. That, that, that's why we speak to anyone when we get right down to it. Uh, material is not filtered. It's not clean and, and pristine and, and, and set up and, and arranged very cleanly or adapted. So this lends to the idea of, yes, performance assessment and for performance assessment for transfer. So when I look at the communicative modes, and they do this so well, I look at transfer as being a key feature of what those mode tests need to have. Uh, and when I talk about transfer, I look at um, content and skills that are used in different context or a situation or a setting different from how it was originally learned on one's own not necessarily by yourself, uh, you know, alone, but the idea is that you have very few cues, few or no cues or supports to be able to do that. Uh, so you're looking at complexity and variation. So when you develop those tasks, if all along the line uh, they have been talking maybe uh, about what interests them or what they like, the complexity and variation piece has to come in. Can they transfer it to a situation that they hadn't learned it? How often do we see in our tasks where um, uh, you just change it up a, a little bit. It could be two weeks from the time you taught it or two months, but they look at it and they're like, wait a minute, you didn't teach us that. They look at it like they've never seen it, they've never seen you. It could be two weeks, two months, three, you know, four months down the line, and, uh, you know, and they don't know. And so the element of transfer with the performance assessment has to happen early and often so they get used to that. So um, consider an example like this. Uh, you know, a, a traditional textbook task might be looking at um, places to go places to travel and matching uh, maybe the city with, uh, with, uh, with what happens there and doing a matching column. Uh, so I like to do, when developing performance assessment, uh, I like to do turnarounds for transfer. 
So uh, the students would come up with uh, an understanding about travel that uh, people uh, plan travel, you know, based on their interests and needs. That not all travel is, you know, is for leisure. That there's reasons for it, uh, and come up with an idea. Say, uh, if you look at a variety of travel brochures, you know, can you then uh, put places to go in those categories based on a list of things that you like? You know, maybe it's uh, history or or shopping or museums or low-cost places to go. Uh, and where would you then go? You know, based on that authentic material, where would you go? And make a nice list in, in those categories. And then speak to somebody about where you'd like to go and maybe a little bit about why. So uh, for instance, I like Mexico, I like Pasco, I like silver. You know, maybe that might be what you would share with somebody else. And then finally, put the student in the, in the role of they are the travel agent. So you have a variety of clients with different places to go. Develop an itinerary for these different people. And this is where the transfer comes in. So if all along the line during the course of the unit, they have been uh, talking about where they like to go and, uh, and maybe keeping it close uh, to themselves, now they have to think about someone else and maybe what their needs are. So if you present them with a, a little complexity, a little wrinkle, a problem they have to solve, and therefore a product that could actually be of use to somebody, how would that itinerary look if it's for um, a family of five with young children? Or what about a, um, what about a, um, a, a young couple out on a, on a vacation? Um, college students on a limited budget? Students on a limited budget? Maybe uh, museums are free on Sunday? How would that itinerary look if it's your grandparents that like crafts and music and small towns? So each one is different. So you talk about differentiated instruction. I like to talk about differentiated assessment. And the performance assessments in the modes do this so well through the idea of transfer. So the idea of more complexities and variations that you can have in the task, the more it demonstrates transfer. So it requires, yes, thoughtful use of a repertoire uh, as opposed to just cued, fill-in, rote responses. Uh, without transfer tasks, what happens to our learners? They aren't able to develop the kind of flexibility required, tolerance of ambiguities, when information is not there, when rules they thought they knew change and they're not quite sure why, they don't have that flexibility to be able to handle the situation. When they're forced with unexpected situations, they're inevitably going to face in the target culture. So when looking at the kind of tasks that are drilled, presented out of context, discrete elements, uh, unrelated sentences and questions we uh, heard yesterday, last night, about uh, you know questions that one, one after another has nothing to do with the one prior, uh, unrealistically set up or prompted. Those don't assess for transfer. Those don't meet the requirements then of the kind of critical thinking skills one needs for the 21st century uh, map or for the Common Core standards. They, they can't. As opposed to what it's like really being in the game. And I call it being in the game. Uh, Grant Wiggins called it being in the game. And I don't mean game like, uh, like the type of games that you put on the blackboard and hangman and, and things like that. I talk about the game when you feel like you're on the field, in the mix, when it's really happening, working with people in the culture. What happens? You want to develop a real task, one that has meaning and purpose beyond the classroom and value beyond what you would give to the teacher. Uh, in context, with all of its messiness, uh, it's an interest value, and it requires that repertoire and using the language critically, right? uh, and thinking thoughtfully, implying it thoughtfully, and using the language with intention and with purpose. Again, what is the performance you're looking for at the end? And, and that, that is done by developing 
with themes, with looking at uh, giving them the scenario right in the beginning of the unit so students know what the story of the unit is about, what's happening. It's almost like a movie trailer uh, where you get the little taste, but it doesn't give away too much, like when you go to the movies and you see those trailers. So they don't ask those questions like, um, do we need to know this? Those kind of questions go away. Is this important for the test? They get that story from the beginning because they know, they have an idea what that final performance is like. And, and that's, uh, that's, where, that's where the wonder of this comes in and why this aligns so well with the common core standards and the critical thinking necessary. So um, the time is right. Uh, we're the people that can do this now, uh, and the power is right here in the center of the room. Uh, the time is for us to do this and, and harness all this energy. Um, these initiatives, coupled with the fact that the Regents was eliminated, the time is right. The iron is not only hot, you know, it's past linen. I mean, it is on atomic, okay? It is on atomic. It's time to move to this kind of performance assessment, to look at, to look at design, to help teachers design from the standards. And in working with, uh, within service, of course, they don't know, so it's the first time they're learning it, but working uh, pre-service, but working in service with teachers for no fault of their own, I don't think they have enough professional development and how to design from the standards and how really how to design from the modes. Uh, I would love to talk to Paul sometime about uh, how, how perhaps uh, uh, nationally we can get the communicative modes out there. I mean, I, I have all kinds of ideas of marketing plans that this should be everywhere. This should be on, on, on buttons, on stickies, on posters. Uh, everyone should know about these. Uh, we'll talk. Uh, but uh, how, to, how to develop these so that students can solve problems, create products that have value beyond the classroom, and that assess for transfer. So those are the key pieces that I think of when I help our, uh, when I help our teachers, because without that PD, um, uh, it can happen, and without the message out there often and having them occur early and often, uh, then we can't, reach, uh, we can't reach the goals that we want. So um, I, I come away with uh, three recommendations um, for us uh, to, to kind of think about. Uh, one, train teacher candidates to design from the national standards. Have them develop those performance assessments with the, with the syllabus theme topics. Okay. To do it in a vertical articulation, to plan backward from those assessment goals. So to develop a vertical articulation plan using those themes and develop those performance assessments. Do that in teacher training programs. Uh, second, align the national standards to the New York syllabus topics. Do that with intention. So the training is there, but also to align mm -hmm. the national standards, mm -hmm. to move to national standards, aligning it with the syllabus themes. Right? And then lastly, to create a body of performance assessment tasks using our New York State syllabus theme topics to develop those samples to be able to use it toward concentrated professional development. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm.